Entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. You're the first one in, last one out, and you do whatever it takes to succeed. Nonetheless, 25 million Americans have chosen the entrepreneurial life because it's equal parts demanding and fulfilling. Welcome to the People First, Then Profit podcast. Join hospitality veteran, photographer, and entrepreneur Don Mamoni each week as he hosts a candid, no-holds-barred conversation with successful business owners and entrepreneurs eager to share their professional secrets with you. Like his crazy Italian family does on Sunday nights, he's serving up a healthy portion of inspiration, motivation, and education, so I hope you're hungry. Now, here's your host, Don Mamoni. All right, everybody, welcome back to the People First, Then Profit podcast. I'm joined today by Ruthie. Ruthie and I met on Clubhouse. She has become a integrated part of my ecosystem because she's working with Cassie and Jorge. She and I share a heart, a brain, and a soul in a lot of the same ways that Cassie and I share a heart, a brain, and a soul. And we're here to talk about something that she is, I'm going to just go ahead and say it, she's an expert at. And that's this concept of radical authenticity. Ruthie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. She's so kind and demure. And what's amazing is, is when she gets into the thick of it, she will extract authenticity from you, like the best machine that was ever created to extract authenticity. Ruthie, I'm going to read your bio. We're going to have a brief conversation about sort of what got you here. And then I'm going to ask you some, I think, really uh, poignant questions about authenticity. Does that sound all right with you? Sounds great. All right, Ruthie is a U.S. Army combat veteran, wife, and mother of four young children. Thank you for your service, Ruthie. She helps her clients create emotionally intelligent and authentic marketing content through consulting and her Unleashing Authenticity program. In her free time, which I'm sure she doesn't have much of, she loves to play guitar, paint, and take care of her growing homestead. Ruthie, it is truly a pleasure to have you here. I'm really excited to be here. I think that might be the first time in my life anybody's ever called me demure. Well, it's it's that you have this persona with me and the high energy and the jazz hands that we joke around about with Cassie all the time. Uh, you you bring a very calming sense to you. So maybe not maybe demure wasn't the right word. Either way, it's literally I'm so excited to have this conversation. So why don't we talk a little bit about that journey from literally U.S. Army combat veteran? I know you did some post. Uh, combat work with the government or with an intelligence agency, and now here you are serving in the private sector. Let's just give, give us the Reader's Digest of that. Okay, so yep, I joined the Army right out of high school. Um, I was going to go to college. I had a scholarship. I was going to go to college. I hadn't decided what language I wanted to learn yet, but I wanted to specialize in you know area studies of some kind, and I pretty much had my pick, and so I was very excited, but the I I'm not even sure how they tricked me into taking the ASVAB, but you know, there I was taking the ASVAB and I scored really well. And so I kind of got stalked by all of the recruiters and uh, I ended up picking the army. I already had an older brother in the air force. So I picked the army and I joined right out of high school. And uh, trick about that is the army doesn't let you pick your language. Mm. So I ended up with a language I'd never heard of before, uh, Persian Farsi. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> never heard of it. I was like Persian, like, isn't that a dead language? Like 300? And they're like, no, no, it's not. Oh, Bless wow. your heart. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I went to school for about a year, learned Persian Farsi, went to another school for about six months, learned some technical analysis skills, learning how to use programs and all that. Um, and I was, you know, I had a few different duty stations. I was promoted uh, pretty quickly. Um, I became a bit ambitious and um, 
And, and in essence, it's like, if, if you have that ambition and the way is clear, why not? So I was a staff sergeant by the time I was about four and a half years in, wow. which is um, like E6 for those of uh, people who are familiar with the enlisted ranks. And yeah, and I was, I was going, I was doing really well, like everything was going great. And uh, my husband and I had made this decision to be geographically separated for about a year because he found work in Maryland and he could mm-hmm. not find any work for himself, like that he needed in the state of Texas. That's why we were going to be separated. Um, but a week before he left, a week before he left, I found out I was second with, uh, I was pregnant with my third child. Oh, wow. And doing the math, I was like, I can't be here with two toddlers and a newborn by myself. Like that's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, so I made the very tough decision to get out because I was planning on becoming like Sergeant Major of the Army. Um, I stayed at home for a while, uh, feeling a bit lost. We decided to buy a home here. So I went back to work so we could save up for that. So I was a federal contractor doing basically the same thing. Um, but I got dissatisfied with that too. Um, because I realized like part of what I loved about being in the army was the people. Mm-hmm. I loved the people. And so, um, I found out I was pregnant with my fourth child, mm. not planned on that. <laughs> I was not <laughs> planning on that. And, uh, And then I started to imagine like what it would be like if I just didn't go back to work and I had started freelance writing part-time just, just, you know, just to make a little bit extra, do something fun. And, and then it just evolved and it took off from there. And so I've transformed from freelance writer to content marketing consultant to marketing strategist. And, and now I'm sitting in this place here where it's not just about the marketing strategy, but it's about people helping people show up fully as themselves, because for, for some of us as entrepreneurs, uh, fake it till you make it just doesn't work. It's like this slow war of attrition and it just slowly chips at you because you're faking it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the opposite of that is really just like showing up fully and being yourself and being present. And so that's what I'm working on now. Plus all of the marketing strategy pieces, right? But we got to get that authenticity piece right first. I got to tell you, I'm so impressed A, by you for being an army combat veteran, for raising four children, for doing successfully so with your husband, buying a house on the East Coast in and around the DC, Maryland, Baltimore area. That's never easy. I don't don't care who you are or where you buy. That is is always an effort. So uh, clearly determination runs in your blood. It is something that that is consistent in all aspects of your life. And I guess what I want to start with is uh, A, right? You had to live authenticity first because of every transition you go through. And I think it's so interesting. People seem consistently like they need to hide whatever it is that they did before they do the new thing. And I think that when, in in the way we've talked to each other, that's not necessarily what you have to do. Part of authenticity is bringing your whole self, all your experiences, everything that got you to where you are into what you're doing today. Can you speak on that for a second? Absolutely. So yeah, so that's the big thing, right? So I I don't have a degree in marketing. I was not a marketer, but what I did do was, you know, I was in charge of incredibly large programs, managed, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of assets, plus was in charge of teams that was doing high stakes analysis. Why would I not include that? And for the vast majority of people who have a type of career switch or career pivot, they think, oh, I wasn't doing this before, so it doesn't count, but they forget all of the other skills and how they can be translated over. Um, and, and to be honest, that's, that's a really big deal. That's a really mm-hmm. big deal. You are not starting from scratch when you make that switch. And by hiding it, by not talking about it, by not being open about it, you're, uh, I mean, you make your 
job history or your experience history look pretty short in a lot of cases. But I mean, you're really kind of shooting yourself in the foot because once you start out by hiding it, you kind of have to continue Mm-hmm. to hide it or avoid talking about it. And again, like suppression takes a lot more energy than expression. So. Ooh, there's a takeaway, guys, if you're listening right now, which obviously you are, because you're hearing my voice, say it again so that they can write that down. Okay. Suppression yeah. takes a lot more energy than expression. Okay. So let's talk about expression. So clearly when we talk about radical authenticity, we're talking about basically taking everything it is that makes you, you, right? And bringing that to your game, your jam, your flow, whatever it is that you're doing, right? So in your experience, what's, what's the first feeling that a lot of the people you work with have when they're getting ready to express that authenticity? So hands down, it is one of the strongest emotions, if not the strongest emotion. I'm pretty sure it's the strongest emotion that any person can feel. And that is fear. Mm. Now we feel our emotions kind of on a spectrum. So you can be a little bit afraid or you can be terrified. And so my clients' experiences typically run the gamut because when you've decided, okay, I'm not going to hold back, I'm not going to hide anymore. Uh, you have to consider why you were hiding in the first place. And usually it's because of a fear of some kind. Uh, What if they don't want to hear what I have to say? What if my audience rejects me? What if I make somebody angry? What if, what if, what if, what if? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we make those decisions having been rejected in some way or another previously, but many times we make, uh, we hold back because we believe we will be rejected. So we're making Mm -hmm. a decision based on something that actually hasn't happened yet. So we can be afraid of things that we think are going to happen, things that we've experienced in the past, baggage we carry with us. But ultimately, you just, you sort of have to find ways in which you deal with fear. So uh, you said, uh, when we had the pleasure of chatting, I think it was in a clubhouse room, you talked about fear and using fear sort of as your guidepost or as, Mm -hmm. as a way to navigate. Uh, Let's talk about that for a minute. So the absence of fear is not what we're looking for, right? The suppression of fear, as you said, is not what we're looking for. We're truly looking for using fear, like, hey, fear, see you over there and dealing with it. So what do you have to say on that topic? So in terms of fear, uh, one of the things I used to say to my soldiers was that uh, in order to be brave, you have to first be afraid. You can't feel courage without also feeling fear. Being courageous is not about being afraid. We Mm -hmm. call people brave when they do stuff like run into a burning building. Like that person of course was afraid. We're afraid even imagining being in their place and that is why they are courageous. Mm -hmm. So in terms of using fear, if, if you go through your day and you don't feel any hesitancy, any worry, any fear at all, you spent your entire day in your comfort zone. Right. Mm -hmm. And so and then when you do feel that fear, you have to consider it like your brain, like the emotions come from the lizard brain, like the very like fundamental basic brain that we have. And you will feel fear at, oh, I almost touched this hot pan, which you and I have talked about the hot pan correlation. Or am I feeling fear over sending an email? Right. Like being afraid of touching the hot pan. That's a good fear because I don't want to burn myself. Yeah. But this email, should I actually be afraid of sending this email that's got a higher rate than I've ever had? Or I'm afraid of this conversation that I'm about to have where I'm going to 
tell somebody my program investment and they're going to say, oh, that's like, am I afraid that that I'm going to say that they're there, they're going to say that that's a lot. And so maybe I should say lower. Mm-hmm. Right. And so are you acting out of that fear? And so it becomes being conscious of it and understanding where it's coming from. And so you can kind of use your fears to as guideposts. I like to Mm -hmm. think of them as guideposts, right? Because in the, there's a book called The War of Art, where uh, the author says that wherever you typically feel resistance, and that's, you know, it could be procrastination, it could be fear, it could be any other type of block, but wherever you tend to feel resistance, that's usually a signal that that is something you need to do. Mm -hmm. And our ego offers up all of this different types of resistance to help us maintain the status quo. Because in this very moment, our ego knows we are alive. And that is pretty much the most important thing to the ego. Your goals, your aspirations, your ego does not care because you might achieve those aspirations and die. That's basically, that's basically how it's operating. So that's why we have to watch out because fear can be a signal that this is the way to go. It's interesting that you say that because uh, first, I love that you said that that fear has a way of keeping you in sort of your zone of competence, right? I'm just going to go ahead and I, I'm excelling here. I'm doing just fine here. If you're not feeling fear, you're likely not pushing yourself hard enough. And it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I have a, a coaching program. It's a group coaching program and everybody has to fill out an entry form. Okay. And one of the questions is sort of, what are you afraid of? Or what what is the fear that you're feeling? And it's every single person. I kid you not. Every single person's answer was the same, which I was shocked by, but it was fear of fear of failure. And if you stay in your zone of competence, there is no fear of failure because you're not pushing right. yourself. Right. I, I, I do this. Well, I ride the bike, but then you add a mountain or a hill or I ski this mountain and then you add moguls or it's a black diamond instead of a blue diamond. Right. If you just stay on blue diamonds all the time, there's very little fear because you, you've done that. So mm-hmm. I love the fact that you can use it as a guidepost and almost like if you're not feeling enough fear, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. You know, you're not getting right. outside your comfort zone enough. I love that. And what a great way to not only not be afraid of fear, but to welcome it in and be like, yeah, bring it fear. Cause now I know which direction I want to head by using it as a, as a guidepost. Okay. So absolutely, I think that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about vulnerability and sort of this concept of What's the difference between maybe authenticity and oversharing or authenticity and what vulnerability is good vulnerability versus maybe sharing too much or oversharing? Let's talk about that. So first and foremost, and this is a bit where the like emotional intelligence aspect comes in because one of the major facets of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. So when we're sharing, when we're getting vulnerable, we do leave ourselves open to be hurt. And so one of the things that I like to caution my clients on is to make sure that whatever it is that they are sharing, if it's big, like on an interview or with their audience, that it's something that they have processed and kind of taken care of in terms of their mental health. If it's something that, you know, if it's, for example, if it's like a past trauma, so that way they're not leaving themselves open to be like re-traumatized in case somebody does take their story a particular way out of context, X, Y, Z, because they leave themselves open to be, you know, traumatized again. Mm. Um, the other thing is that authenticity, uh, you can kind of look at it like concentric circles okay. going outwards. Mm-hmm. And so your tightest circle, your smallest circle is where you let a few people in. 
And so that circle may have like, so in the case of your clients, that circle may have you in it because of like, I'm going to share all of my like budding little hopes and dreams with Dom because they're so delicate and tender. You can't share those types of things with somebody who's going to trample all over them. But once they spend some time in this circle with, with, you know, that themselves and you, and maybe a few other trusted people, those dreams take root and they become tougher. And so now we go out into the, you know, subsequent rings where you can express that vulnerability, but you have almost like a backstop or you've kind of built some strength into that vulnerability. Because if I go out into my outer rings Mm -hmm. of, of my vulnerability and the people that I trust, if I go out further, what happens is, is even if someone starts to question the dream, because I was able to address it with my trusted people first, mm-hmm. you know, they've already helped me brainstorm from a place of positivity versus the other person who may come from a more negative perspective. So a lot of times we are vulnerable with the wrong people first, mm-hmm. and then they, they gut that dream before it even gets to take flight. So in terms of vulnerability, you have to protect your mental and emotional health and you start small. You have those people. I mean, I know almost all of us have those people where we're like, oh, I got to message this person and tell them I had this great idea. And that's what you want to have. But as it ripples out, you can you can be authentic, but the authenticity and the vulnerability has a bit of strength in it then Mm -hmm. at that point. And so if somebody on the outer rings of your trust, you know, rejects you or says something negative, you don't feel that you know, to your core the same way that you would if somebody in that first circle did it. So I knew I was going to love this conversation. I knew that this was going to be an amazing podcast episode, but uh, the things that you're sharing with the audience are, they're so unbelievably motivational, inspirational, but they're also actionable. And I love that. So when it comes to vulnerability, I love that you just identified sort of the who, right? And also sort of the when, right? So if you take any concern, you can basically have this concept of strategic vulnerability, right? So you're being smarter about it. Uh, and I love, I love the mm-hmm. way that that, that sounds now, um, the, when I, I loved, it was sort of synopsized for me. Somebody said, you share your scars, not your wounds. And I loved that because it reminds us that sometimes we have yeah. to let things kind of marinate and, and deal with them. And then it's time, it's time to share them, um, with the right people at the right time. Um, so thank you. Thank you for sharing so much about authenticity because I don't think vulnerability is a dirty word, but if you do it wrong, you might not get the, the result you're looking for. So what, what great advice. So the, the last question I want to ask you today is a, is a tougher one um, because I, there's probably a million things you could share, but what's one thing that you could think you could share with the audience today that they can sort of apply to their business and life right now, sort of immediately when it comes to radical authenticity? Okay. So definitely the first thing to do Uh, I would say is to identify those people who can kind of give you a a gut check, if you will. So when I was first exploring this idea, I was one of the things I realized was there was this disconnect, there was dissonance between uh, how people understood and experienced my brand online and me online, and how they experienced me in person at networking events and things like that. And I started to hear that, oh, you're not like how I thought you would be. And I was like, oh, that's not good. Um, so what I started 
wanted to do though, was instead of making, well, actually, to be honest, the very first time I did it, I totally did just flash it out there. I really did 2019 or 2020. It was April, 2020. And, um, I just, I was at a moment where I might regret this later, but I'm just going to hit publish. And I did not regret it because a ton of people resonated with the message. But after that, I wanted to do some evaluation and, I shared pieces of content and topics for content with my trusted circle. And I said, hey, do you think that people would want to hear about this? Like, do you think that if I presented it this way, that this would be okay? Like, would people like this? And and that was what gave me the confidence first, because I was talking to the people whose opinions mattered most to me at the time. And so I got on TikTok and I was playing around there. And then I remember sending a TikTok to somebody and asking them, like, do you think that this would fly on LinkedIn? Like, would this work? And they're like, maybe. Like, it doesn't bother me. I think it's great. I think you should try it. And so I did. And my TikTok videos on LinkedIn are some of my best performing content. But before I did that, I talked with somebody who was, who I could trust, who I could trust with my hopes and dreams, who would help me grow them or help me get a different perspective instead of trample all over them. And that was a mistake I had made in the past. So Mm -hmm. that is definitely my first recommendation. If you have not identified that person or persons Mm -hmm. in your life, in your business network, that you can ask for an honest opinion, somebody who has earned the right to see your authenticity, to see your authentic self and to experience your vulnerability, then you should identify those people so that way they can be your trusted sounding board. And I think it's so important to identify that that person may not be the same person that you're using for some other tactic in your business world. You're recommending that you find people in your world, in your business world, that you can specifically trust when it comes to showing them your authentic self. Uh, and that might not be the person that you yeah. go to for something else. So what great advice. Thank you, Ruthie. Well, and- Just one more thing to that. One more thing to that. It might not be your parents. If you're accustomed to talking to your parents, it might not be your spouse. If you're accustomed to talking to your spouse or siblings, they may not be it because they want best for you. And in a way, like if you're already doing well, or you already have like a nine to five or, or whatever it is, they don't want you to get hurt. So they may say things that suppress or help you suppress instead of helping you express. So just keep that in mind, just because they are close to us by marriage or, or by blood doesn't necessarily mean that they are the best people to share what sometimes seems like crazy dreams or way out there stuff. Like they may not be the best audience for that. And I'll bet you that, they, that you will find that over time, as you curate this group of people, there's a fair amount of diversity in there, right? It's probably a business associate, a, a, maybe a close friend or somebody else. And so as you curate that group of people for that specific yep. need, uh, I'll bet you you'll see some diversity and inclusivity there. That's, that's pretty awesome. Okay, great. So uh, I end every podcast with a lightning round. It's just super fun and easy. I have a couple of questions that I'm going to ask you and you can just fire off your first thought. Does that sound all right? Ready to go? Sounds good. All right, here we go. Yep. Your your favorite band of all time. Mm. Do I have a favorite band? Favorite singer? Favorite singer. Um, right now, I would say that's Sia, despite the controversy right now. <laughs> I, I will say that I love the unique nature of her music. Favorite place you've lived ever? Favorite place I've lived ever? Uh, Augusta, Georgia. Oh, beautiful. All right. Uh, favorite mm-hmm. thing about winter? I love seeing the snow on the branches 
branches that otherwise appear lifeless, when they have that layer of snow on them, they look beautiful. How did I know that you'd find a way to make uh, something simple seem so much more beautiful? All right. And then the last one, what's your favorite guilty pleasure? Ooh, um, guilty pleasure, uh, sci-fi and fantasy novels. Ooh, fun. So my wife loves sci-fi and all that kind of fantasy stuff more in TV shows than in, in books, but uh, I have zero interest in it. And so I'm like, I'm going to go video game with my nephew. She's like, good. I can watch something like uh, about Vikings or spirits or nymphs or fairies. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. She loves that. That's... It's uh, it's an escape sort of, right? It's a, a whole different Yes. Book. I act, actually, that is literally my escapism route. Growing up, fun fact about Ruthie, growing up, when I got grounded, my parents took away my books. Oh, so you love books that much? Yeah. When, when I skipped school, I went to the library. Love that I not only got a lightning round, but a fun fact about Ruthie to wrap it up. All right. So uh, we <laughs> talked about this beforehand because I know the audience is going to want to know more about you. And I know you work with Cassie and Jorge in, uh, you took the Impact and Influence Live, and then you rolled into their uh, mm -hmm. premium client accelerator program. I can't wait to see what the next 90 days holds for you. I, I hold you in such high respect, Ruthie. I think you're brilliant. And I think that you're going to change uh, people's worlds. So I know that if people want to get in touch with you, the best way to do that right now is on LinkedIn and Clubhouse. You and I met on Clubhouse. You and I interact all the time on Clubhouse. So guys, it's because I know you're going to want to talk to Ruthie. I'm going to put all of her links to LinkedIn, to Clubhouse. Everything is going to be in the show notes. Ruthie, thank you for sharing your time, your talent, your experience, your knowledge with me and my audience. I appreciate you so much. Thanks again for having me. This was fun. Yes, it was fun. All right, guys, with that, if you have any questions for me, you know where to find me. All of my information is in the show notes. Uh, get ready and get excited. I'm working on a little offer of my own. The Profit Finder Challenge is coming. It's coming very soon. So be sure to sign up for my email list. You can find that on my website, peoplefirstthenprofit.com. And with that, we're going to let Adam Wilmar take us out of here. Thanks again, Ruthie. Thanks for listening to the People First and Profit podcast. If you liked this episode, and I'm pretty sure you did, subscribe, review, and share it with your friends, fans, and followers wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the show notes for additional information about this week's guest, as well as a list of all the links and resources we discussed. Be sure to visit peoplefirstinprofit.com for a ton of great content, free resources, and links to the People First and Profit community. All right, I'm Adam Wilmore, and on behalf of your host, Don Mamoni, we'll see you next week. Thank you.